This is the last Sunday in this, my birth month. <laughs> so I'll have to wait another month, another year before I change digits again. But we, we have been studying, we have been studying the statement by Jesus that he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the first week we studied about him being the way. And the second week about him being the truth. Last week, we studied about him being the life. And this week, we're going to study about what he said next. He says, no man comes to the Father but by me. No man comes to the Father but by me. In John 10, 9, he says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Jesus is the only door. As I said last week, it's not Muhammad, it's not Buddha, it's not uh, Confucius, it's not Krishna. There's only one tomb that I know that is empty and not because someone took the body, but that he resurrected, amen, and the angel rolled away the stone not to let him out, but to let the disciples in. <laughs> He didn't need anyone to roll away the stone. He didn't need anyone to roll away the stone. The stone was rolled away so the disciples could see he was gone. Amen. In fact, when they rolled away the stone, he was already gone. They didn't let him out. <laughs> he was already gone. So we're going to do a little bit of, of recap before we, we, we finish it up this, this week. Amen. Um, it's so interesting that Jesus said... A few times in the New Testament, he used the word, the I am, I am. And of course, what he was doing was going back to what was said from the burning bush. He was identifying truly who he was, that he was very God indeed, that he was not just a subordinate being as some teach, but that he was God incarnated in the flesh. Now, we started the first week um, about why they had to leave the garden. Does anyone remember why did they have to leave the garden? Sin. But what would have happened if they had tried to stay in the garden? That's right. That's right. In Genesis, it says, God said, lest they stretch forth their hand and eat of the tree of life and live forever. And why would that have been a bad thing? We would have been trapped in this body of which we have no control. I use the example of when you go to the doctor and they're t giving you a physical and they take the little rubber mallet and they tap you somewhere on your knee and you kick out. It's hitting your, what they call their auto, auto, auto nervous system. I forgot the, the correct term. But when they hit that spot, it, it bypasses your control and your foot kicks out. And what they're doing is they're testing your nervous system reaction. The devil has a little mallet that he goes around and he taps you in certain places and he makes you say and do things that you wish you hadn't. And in Romans 7, Paul spoke about this. He said, when I want to do good, evil is present. I get up in the morning and say, I'm going to be this, I'm going to be perfect. I'm not going to lose my cool. I'm going to keep my joy. I'm going to keep my peace. But then somebody says one word, just one word with a certain attitude and boy, it just comes up, doesn't it? You see, the devil has found a little spot 
And this is what God knew. He said, this body cannot be redeemed. When we truly understand that, we will not fear death because the whole purpose of death is so that we can get a new body. Amen. He said, lest they put forth their hand and live forever. God intended at some point for you to either die or be changed. See, the reasons they had to leave, to leave, of course, is they had lost their covering. Remember what I said, that every single creature that God has created, he gave them a covering so that they could come into his presence. And because of their sin, immediately they lost their covering. And how do we know that? What did they say that gives us the clue that they no longer had a covering? Right. Suddenly, they felt naked. Something had changed. They had lost that spirit covering, that Shekinah glory that God had given them. And the Bible says that they hid and they try to make themselves a covering. You know, when people sin, that's what they do. They make themselves a covering. They go and make some fig leaves. And it covers the outside, but it can't cover the inside. Because if it had really worked, they wouldn't have had to hide. But you see, it only covered the outside, so something was still bothering them. They still had a, this problem inside. And it was only a, a blood sacrifice that could cover both the outside and the inside. And because of that, man could no longer come into God's presence. So we, we saw in Exodus where Moses wanted to see God's face. And God told him, no, I'm afraid in your present condition you can't see my face. You, there's no way you can see my face and live. The only way I tell you what I'm going to do, I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock. It's only in the cleft of the rock can you see God. And in the New Testament, that rock is revealed to be who? Paul said the rock that followed them was Jesus. That's why uh, when he was speaking to the Pharisees, he said, um, Abraham rejoiced to see my day says, well, you're not even 50 years old. How come you're talking about Abraham? He says, before Abraham was, I am. Tell you what, when you see the I am, you will rejoice. When you know the I am, you can rejoice. But if you don't know the I am, then the devil's got that little plastic mallet. He's going around and he's finding little spots to make you lose your cool. Happened to me this week. <laughs> I, I don't want to say any more than that. Just keep me in prayer. Yes. <laughs> but we know that we're still in this flesh. Paul said, listen, I prayed three times for the Lord to take away this thing from me. And he wouldn't do it. You know, sometimes God allows some things into our lives to keep us humble. He said, because I would have gotten so big-headed because of the surpassing revelations. That's in 2 Corinthians 12. Surpassing revelations made me would have made me big-headed, but God gave me an injection to keep me humble. Sometimes the reason why Lord allows some things in your life is to keep you humble. And, and, And even if we pray for it, God may say, you know, my grace is sufficient. My strength is made perfect in your weakness because that's why you're going to have to keep praying you're going to have to keep praying because that that thorn is still there and you don't like it (laughs) it's still i would just love to not have a problem in life 
I would just love not to have to deal with stuff. But God wants to keep me humble. He wants to keep you humble. He wants to make you pray sometimes. So that's what's going to happen. So he said in Deuteronomy 4.12, The Lord spake unto you out of the midst of the fire. He heard the voice of the words, but saw no similitude. He only heard a voice. God could not appear directly to men. There was a separation that happened. Um, on Tuesday night, I, I taught a Bible study that explained it a little bit more about the force of separation. Now, gravity, what kind of force is gravity? It pulls. It's an attractive force. It pulls things together. But there are some forces that separate. There's a spiritual force that separates. Anyone know what that force is? Sin. What does sin do? separates man from God. It separates man from God. On, on Tuesday night, I taught about the four natural forces that mankind has discovered. You know, the force that binds the atom, they call it the strong force because it's so much stronger than gravity that overcomes gravity, it keeps the atoms and the molecules all together. But back in 1941, man found a way to break it. And that force, when it was broken, when the atom was broken, what did it release? tremendous amount of power that's what we call nuclear power and you know what God did to break the force of sin when he came he died and he broke that power of sin so now he says a new covenant I'm way off the topic I was teaching on but never mind a new covenant give I unto you what's the new force what's the new force that's so much greater than the force of sin for God so loved the world that he gave. That force has overcome the force of sin and separation. What kind of force is love? Gravity pulls, sin separates. What does love do? It's an attractive force. And it is so much greater than the force of sin. Isn't that awesome? He told him, listen, you can't see my face because... You, you don't have a proper covering. I'm going to make you a covering. You get in between the cleft of this rock and you'll be able to see my face. In John 1.18, it says, No man hath seen God at any time except the only begotten, which is in the bosom of the Father. He hath declared him. Our whole topic this, this week is that no man comes to the Father but by me. There's not many ways to God. You can't get through Confucius or... You know, some of these Hindu gods, you can't get there. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we see that in the Old Testament, until Jesus came, the way was not open. Um, God had to give them through intercessors and in, through intermediaries. And I taught that the first intermediaries, the main intermediaries were who? The angels. What did he do at the, at the entrance of the garden? He placed cherubim to guard, to keep the way back into the garden. They, they were there to stop mankind going too far. And when he set up the symbolism of the tabernacle and the temple, on the curtain that separated the most holy place from the holy place, what was on the curtain? Cherubims, because they symbolized the fact that uh, until Jesus we were under the mediation or of angels. In the Old Testament, the message always came by the angel of the Lord. See, they were the go-betweens. 
They were the ones who brought the message. John 1, 18 said, no man at any time. But even the angels themselves have to have a covering to come before God. We see that in Isaiah chapter 9, sorry, in Isaiah chapter 6, when he says, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. And above him were the seraphims. And they had six wings. And what were they doing mostly with their wings? They had to cover themselves. They could not come before God's throne uncovered. In fact, the wings actually are symbolic because angels don't need wings to fly, actually. If you, they don't need that. The wings are symbolic of a spiritual covering. We see that in Psalms 91 when it says, Under thy wings, under his feathers, right? Shall I trust? The feathers there is a Hebrew word, kanaf. It really means covering. Isaiah 30 verse 1 says, Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel, but not of me. And they cover with a covering, a false covering, but not of my spirit. Without God's spirit, we're none of his. We can't come into his presence. In Isaiah 6, 2, here it is. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his feet. With twain he covered his his, his um, face. Twain he covered his feet and with twain he did fly. They can't, even the angels could not approach God without a covering. You cannot approach God without his spirit. That's why Jesus speaking to Nicodemus says, you can't enter or see heaven unless you be born of the water and of the spirit. Without his spirit, we are none of his. And in Revelation to the Laodicean church, he makes the same reference. He says, because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. There's some pretty rich churches nowadays, right? <laughs> nothing wrong with having a beautiful building and all the facilities. But if that's all you have, you have nothing. Thou knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. The Laodicean church was actually spiritually naked. And he said, because thou art lukewarm, I'm going to do what? Spew you out of his mouth. Now in Hebrews 9, it explains all of this. For 2,000 years, all these ceremonies and all of these sacrifices and all of these things where man could not approach God. Unless you were a Levite, you couldn't even come into the tabernacle. You had to stand outside. That's the closest you could get to the presence of God was outside. If you were a Levite, then you could come inside the, the courtyard. And then you could, if you were de uh, designated to minister in the holy place, you could go in there. But you could still not go behind that final veil. Except once a year, the high priest was tasked on the Day of Atonement. It's coming up next month. To go behind the veil. And I bet he did that with some fear and trembling knowing that if his sacrifice was not accepted, he would die. He had to go in there with a covering. The covering that he had was the blood sacrifice. And he would go before the golden altar and he would take the coals off that and put it into a pan and put the, 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 the incense on it and their steam would come up. And it's only when that steam was coming up could he go behind the curtain. And Hebrews tells us that the way was not manifest. Remember the first thing Jesus said? I am. 
because he had not come, it says the way was not manifest. Let's read it. Hebrews 9, 6 says, Now when these things were thus ordained, when the temple and all of these ordinances were set up, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, that means the holy place, accomplishing the service of God. One of the services they had to do is make sure that the lampstand never went out. When you were a priest, that was a 24-7 job when you were on duty. You had to make sure that the oil was always there. The lampstand was never to go out. Do you know the other thing that was never to go out? Anyone else know what? There was one other thing that was never to go out. What was in the outer court? That's what I said. The lampstand was never to go out, but there was something else that was never to go out. It was in the outer court. The brazen altar. That means it was never to go out either. They had to keep that thing going. As long as they were not marching, the brazen altar also never went out. Why? What did it represent? Judgment. It represented the place of judgment. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone. Once every year, not without blood. He could not go before God without a covering. God had given them a covering. The same thing he did for Adam and Eve because it said that he made them coats of skins. The implication is that an animal died. You can't get a skin off an animal without there being what? Shedding of what? The coats was for the body, but the blood was for the soul. In Leviticus he said, I've given you the, 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 the nephesh, the, the, the blood as a covering for the soul upon the altar. And so the high priest could only go in there with the blood. And they did this for almost 2,000 years from the time of, of Moses until Jesus died. Verse 8 says, the Holy Ghost thus signifying that the way, let's say the way, into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. It was not open. You couldn't just walk in there. You would die. In fact, you know the story of the guy who just touched the ark thinking he had the right to make God's uh, ark safe and he died. I was telling someone, you don't have to worry about God's church. Worry about yourself. He's, he, he knows what he's doing. <laughs> the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. While as yet the first was tabernacle was yet standing. So while all the th- these things were yet standing, Jesus' fulfillment could not come. And that's why God allowed the ark to disappear. God allowed the ark to disappear. He told the woman by the well, he said, you people, the Samaritans, you worship in this mountain and the Jews... They worship in Jerusalem. But the real representation of God is actually standing right in front of you. He is here today, standing right in front of us. I'm planning in November to go to Israel. But you know what? I don't have to go to Israel to find the representation of God. He is standing right here. He is as near as you're willing to call out his name. Isn't that great? Amen. Sister gave her testimony of how she just called out, God, you got to heal me. And he did. Because he's as close as you calling out his name. 
But all of these ceremonies were there to show that the way Jesus had not died yet. But you know what happened when he was on the cross and he said, it is finished. And I say it nearly every Sunday. What happened? That veil tore in two. The way now being made open. That's why in Hebrews 4, 16, it says we can come boldly to a throne of grace. There to obtain mercy. I need mercy. Don't know about you. (laughs) I need mercy. I need God's mercy. I really do. Amen. In fact, I, I think I'm one of the greatest examples of his mercy. Amen. Then the second week, this is still review. We did that Jesus is the truth. You know, it amazes me today the amount of deception there is around where people don't know what's true anymore. They can't tell what is the truth anymore, you know, especially in the political world. It's just amazing the amount of deception. In John 14, 6, and I told you the the, the context of John 14 and 15, he's now in the upper room and he's telling them what he's told them before, but they still aren't getting it. I'm going away. Finally, I think about this time they realize that he's going away and they get, they start to get worried. And that's why he starts off John 14 by saying, let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. Yes, I'm going away, but you know where I'm going? To prepare a place. That where I am, you can be also. That's what John 14 is 6 and he's explaining and revealing some things to them. He says, I am the way. This is where this saying comes. The truth and the life. Jesus is truth. In the, in the Greek, it's, he it uses the definite article. So, which is really saying that he is the truth. So this indicates, as I said, that Jesus was referring to himself. That he is, embodies truth. And as I explained in, uh, in the New Testament, we were talking about the law in John 1.17. For the law was given through Moses... But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ because he is the way. Amen. And then we talked about what makes you free. How does truth make you free? Well, let's read it. You shall know that when you know the truth, if you know the truth, it frees you from all kinds of superstition and nonsense. I don't read horoscopes. (laughs) That's nonsense. (laughs) I don't, I don't throw salt or look at tea leaves. My life is supposed to be hid in Christ. Your life is supposed to be hid in Christ. You don't need a horoscope to tell your future. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth makes you free. Now some people don't want to know the truth, because if they know the truth, that means they're going to have to change. They're going to have to do something different. And some, some people just don't want to know the truth. They like to have the worst kind of deception. What's the worst kind of deception? Self-deception. That's, that's the worst kind of deception. The Bible says the heart is exceedingly wicked. And who can know? When you deceive yourself, that's the worst kind of deception. That's like pretending to be asleep. Hard to wake someone pretending to be asleep. You know they're asleep. They know, sorry, you know they're awake. They know they're awake, but they're pretending to be asleep. Kids used to do that, right? Used to, you don't want to go to school. uh. (laughs) 
So that's, that's what we were talking about, that the truth makes you free. Because when you know the truth, when you know the truth of God's love, you know the truth of what he's done for you, it makes you free. In fact, Paul uses that in Romans 8 to explain how he can now be free from the law of sin and death. He says, because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free. Amen. But just knowing the truth is not enough. You have to do what? You have to act on it. I keep forgetting. One of these, I'm going to put a hundred dollar bill. I keep saying it. I'm going to see who believes me. <laughs> put a hundred dollar bill under one of these plants and say, come and get it. See who believes me. See who believes me. Because if you believe in something, you're going to act upon it. So knowing the truth is good, but the Bible says Satan also knows Jesus, right? But that doesn't mean he's saved. So it's knowing the truth and then acting upon it. Amen. Jesus answered in verse 34 of John. He says, verily, verily, I say to you, whosoever committed sin is the servant of sin. Scripture says, if you yield yourself to obey his servant, you are. Amen. So, but the servant doesn't stay in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. Therefore, if the son therefore make you free, it's the difference between renting and owning. (laughs) If you own the house, it's different from renting it. Amen. Amen. So we're, we're actually now up to where I'm going to actually start the lesson. That was all review. That was all the last three weeks. So we're going to, I'm going to tell a story this week. Um, Remember what the, 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 the topic is. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Now, the thing about when we read the Bible is we know that right now, and I've taught this before, there are three kingdoms. Anyone can name any of the three kingdoms. Kingdom of the grave and kingdom of heaven. There's the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of the grave, and the kingdom of earth. And this explains why Jesus had to come or has to come twice. The kingdom of heaven has always been God's kingdom. In in Psalms 115, he says, The kingdom of, of the earth, earth hath he given to the children of men. But when Adam sinned, he lost dominion of that. Now, hell, the third kingdom, was not in the original creation. Right? How do we know what verse tells us that it was not in the original creation? Amen. Somebody been listening. Amen. Genesis chapter 1 verse 31 says, And God saw everything, everything, no exceptions, everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So we know at the end of the sixth day, there was no rebellion. There had been no sin. Else God could not have called his creation good. There was no hell because Satan had not rebelled. Had not rebelled. So hell was never created, was never God's plan, was never in his plan for us, his children. But it was a result of the first sin. And who committed the first sin? Satan. Satan must have sinned before he made Adam and Eve sin. He had some scheme going on. Let's start reading about that. Ezekiel 28, 18. Speaking about Satan, it says, and his fall, it says, Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities. By the iniquity of thy traffic, therefore will I bring forth a fire 
from the midst of the hell was in fact a reaction to what Satan did. God didn't actually have to create it. It was a reaction to what Satan did because God had set up all these laws, both physical and spiritual. And if you break them, there is going to be a reaction. If you jump off of a cliff, there's going to be a reaction. There is a, there is a law called the law of gravity. God didn't kill you. The law was there a long time ago. What you did is you broke the law. God doesn't have to kill you if you jump off of a cliff. The law is going to take care of that. So there is a law of sin and death. Whenever you go against God's word, God doesn't have to do anything. You're just breaking a law. God did not actually um, so much as create hell as Satan made it happen because he broke God's law. It says, I will bring forth a fire. Hell was, according to the scripture, almost came from the midst. It's like when someone's got such an anger, such a hatred that it's burning them up from the inside. That's what happens. It, it so devours them from the inside, they can't see it. And I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. So hell was not in God's original creation. And we, Jesus explained that it was originally, was the creation for, for Satan. In Matthew 25, 41, he's speaking about the judgment of the nations and he, he gives us this insight. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, depart from me, he cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for who? It was prepared originally for the devil and his angels. It was not in the, in the six days of creation or even in the seventh day. It was something that came about as a reaction. You know, if an infection gets in your body, there will be a reaction. You, you see it, you get an inflammation, you get, it becomes hot. It's your body fighting against the, 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 the invader, so to speak. God had set up his universe so that only perfection should be there. And anything that doesn't uh, align with that, it's going to get destroyed. In Isaiah 5, 14, it said, therefore hell hath enlarged herself. It wasn't created for us, but now because of man's fall, man's disobedience, man's rejection of truth, it's therefore hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure and their glory and their multitude and their pomp. And he that rejoiceth in sin, it's what it's speaking about, shall descend into it. That was not God's plan. There was no plan for man to to dwell in, in torment or be in a place of torment. It was a reaction. It's like, as I said, when, you, when your body starts to fight an infection, what happens? How do they know you've got an infection? What's the first thing they say to go do? I'm not feeling well. How do you know you've got an infection? Go take the temperature. Why? It's starting to get hot. It's starting to get hot. That's exactly what hell happened. Because of an infection of sin... The universe started to get hot and hell was created. Let's go back though to the beginning just to show you that God, as I've said before, God can only do one thing when he creates perfection. He can't deliberately create second or used or thirds. No, he can only create perfect things because he is a perfect being. A perfect being can only create perfectly. 
In Ezekiel 28, we see the, 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 the scripture that starts off looking like it's talking to a man, but we know it's actually speaking about Satan. It says, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. This creature that God had made was certainly something when he was first made. In fact, his Hebrew name is Halel ben Shakar, it means son of the dawn. He was, in fact, the name Lucifer means, anyone knows what that means? Light bearer. Light bearer. He was certainly a beautiful creature, created because that's all God can do. He can't create anything that's ugly and, 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 and so when you see anything in this universe that is, is, is not so good, you know God didn't do it. He can't do it. Full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Verse 14 tells us what his job was. Thou art the anointed cherub. That means the chosen cherub that covereth. Covereth. And I have set thee so. God had created him as one of the angels, not 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 the only one. You know, people teach that he's the second most powerful being to God. That's not in Scripture. No, that's nowhere in Scripture. The Bible tells us that the angel, there were four creatures that surrounded the throne. In the, in, the, in the temple, when God was modeling his heavenly throne, he told that the Ark of the Covenant, there should be what? Two cherubim that covered the Ark. So at most... Satan was one of two beings that was given the honor of covering the throne. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day thou was created, till, till iniquity was found in thee. See, God has not made us robots even the beings angels they have choices otherwise sin would be impossible there will be no excuse to say well this made made me do it paul says thou art inexcusable O man because no matter from where you start you have some choices you may not have the same choices initially as me or i might not have the same choices as you but you still have some choices And we're going to be judged on what we did with those choices. So we know that Satan must have committed the first sin. Let's read it. Isaiah 14, verse 12. Now you may say, what does this have to do with no man cometh to the Father but by me? I'm telling a story. Amen. Amen. Isaiah 14, 12 tells about how his rebellion progressed. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Son of the morning. That's where his original title comes from. Halel ben Shekhar. That means son of the morning. How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? See, that's a prophecy of what's going to happen to him. Verse 13 tells us when he sinned. Here it is. For thou hast said in thine heart, sin always starts from in here. Jesus said it's what comes out of a man or woman that defiles him. It comes from the heart. He said in, his, in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars. I will, above the stars of God, I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And here's where he, 
he, he caps it off. I will be like the most high. Five I wills. Five I wills. Now, he'd also, as I said, all of the created beings are, were created with a covering. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Now, if you read, it, it gives a, a, a beautiful picture of the covering. And it names nine, in the, in the King James Version, it names nine gemstones uh, symbolic of the covering. In the Septuagint, it gives the 12 gemstones, symbolic of the covering. The same gemstones that the high priest used to have on the ephod because he, rep he went before the throne of God. But there's something very interesting about this. It's verse 15, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Now, in Genesis, the first time we come across Satan, it calls him a serpent, right, in the King James it says, now the serpent was more subtle than any of the rest of the beasts. And the word that is used for serpent is nahash. And it does mean serpent as a noun, but it has another meaning if it's used as an adjective. It means bright and shining. See, as I've said before, Eve did not seem surprised to be talking to this creature. Now, I know most of us, if we happened upon a serpent and it started speaking to us, <laughs> you'd either rebuke that thing or run or stomp on its head or kick it or something. But I don't think we would have a conversation. You know what this tells us? This was not strange. She had talked to this creature before. In fact, in another scripture, I didn't put it, but God says, I had said, thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. He was placed in Eden by God until he sinned so it starts off in genesis says now the serpent was more subtle the translation of king james is subtle but it's amazing that that word has a another meaning in the hebrew has another meaning now i'm going to show you the the two words in the hebrew that's strong's concordance there and the first translation says naked and the second translation says subtle and in the Hebrew, it's the exact same spelling of the, of the, of the word. It's the, um, it's in the modern Hebrew. Uh, but you'll see, if you look, it's the same spelling. The only difference is in the pronunciation uh, due to context. In fact, it's pronounced the same, Aram. Aram. But the translators could not understand how it would fit was more naked than the any other other creatures so they use the other word to translate more clever but because me and you know that when you sin what happens what happens to any creature that sins they lose their covering they become naked this is what the verse is really telling us that the serpent was now more naked. This creature had sinned and he had lost his covering. Lost his covering. It can be translated subtle or it can be translated naked. Now the serpent, and in the adjective it means bright and shining, which better goes along with who he was. 
was more subtle, is what King James translated, than any beast of the field. But you could just as well put it this way, and the serpent was more naked because we know that all of the beings that have to come before God have to have a covering unless they sin. Then they lose their covering. I'll prove it to you. Here's where it's describing his coverings. Thou hast been in the Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was, was thy covering. Past tense, was thy covering. He had lost his covering. Then it details all of them, the sardius, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, and the gold. In here it does nine, but in the Septuagint version it has twelve. See what happened when he first sinned. He lost his covering. He was going to be in trouble. He came up with a plan. If I can get somebody else in trouble, I can delay my trouble. You know, it's in school when they're playing spitballs and the teacher catches them. Well, well, he, he, he did it too. He did it too. Satan had a motive for trying to get Eve to sin. What was Satan's motive? Well, he was trying to shield himself because he had sinned. Now, the other proof of this that he had lost his covering is in Revelation 9-11 where it's talking about the king of the bottomless pit and it gives us a clue, gives us his name. And they had a king over them which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon. And he is a bad one. <laughs> in, the, in, the Greek, in the Greek, his name is Apollyon, but it gives us the Hebrew for his title, which is interesting, because we know that that, that word in the Hebrew means what? Destruction. Now in Job... God gives us a little breadcrumb there. He says in Job 26, 6, hell is what? Naked before him and destruction hath no covering. What is destruction? What's, what's the word, Hebrew word for destruction? I just told you, it's in Revelation. Abaddon. So it says hell is naked before him and Abaddon has no covering. Do you see it? Do you get it? You're all looking at me like you're lost. <laughs> He lost his covering because he first sinned. The word in the Hebrew for destruction is Abaddon. And if you were to go in Job and look it up, that's what it would tell you. But it's used as a proper name in Revelation, showing you that he had lost his covering. So it's really saying Abaddon has no covering. So when it says the serpent was more subtle, I'm telling you that what it really means, he was already naked. And he had to come up with a plan to stop his destruction. And that's why he was trying to get Adam and Eve to sin. I'm going to skip all of that and just go now to the meat part of this lesson. I said all of that story to bring you to the next part here. And Paul in Romans is explaining this to the Romans because of course they, they, were, they were not Jews. They didn't understand all of the history of the Jews. So in his letter to the Roman church, he said, wherefore as by one man sin entered the world and death by sin so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. All have sinned. Let's say it, all. all. That's why we need to always die daily 
That's why we need to repent. Because all have sinned. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Now, we have to be real careful what the verses say. Because some people use what Paul is saying to say everybody in the end is going to be saved. It didn't say that. It said many. It didn't say all. And where it does say all, it says men. And there's a a doctrine called universalism, which says everybody's going to be saved, including Satan. So uh, we just want to not go down that rabbit hole today, but maybe on a Tuesday night I'll talk about it. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. I don't know who I was telling. I've said this before. You know, when you look at the news, especially in Milwaukee, and really it's almost anywhere now, there's so much evil and, and, and shootings and murders. And, and, and uh, probably if you were to look up the statistics for Milwaukee, we're, we're, we're way down there as far as good things and way up here as far as negative things. But the one good thing I know is that where sin doth abound... God's grace does much more abound. This may be, a, a, you know, not the greatest place necessarily to live. If you had money, you could go all kinds of places. But I tell you what, because it's where I tell people when they ask me where I'm from, I say Pergamos. And if they can look it up, they'll find that in the New, in the New Testament, it says that's where Satan dwelt. But where sin doth abound, God's grace doth much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life. And there's that little small word there. By or through or with Jesus Christ. Remember, no man cometh to the Father but by me. And we see that once they, they sin happened in the garden, although they were still living very long lifetimes, it always ends the same way in Genesis 5. It gives the generations of, the, of, of Adam in the day that God created him. Man in the likeness of God made him. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam. That is mankind in the day they were created. But it always ends this way. Verse 5. And all the days that Adam lived were 930 years. Imagine how much stuff you could do in 930 years. If you spent 50 years, you could become a doctor. 50 years, become a scientist. 50 years, 930 years. But still, it ended the same way. And he died. Verse 8, his son Seth lived 912 years. And it ended the same way. And he died. And all the days of Enoch were 905 years. And he died. And all the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. And it goes on and on and on, all the way down to Enoch. And it ends the same way. And he died. Because death had passed unto all men. That's why, as I said, when God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, he didn't have to give a punishment. Punishment was already given. It was in Genesis, right? The day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt. And that's why I said last week, 
that it, that the, the, all of the punishments came from who? Moses and the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord. Because in Numbers 15, when they caught the first person who had broke the law, do you remember who he was? What was he doing? He was picking up sticks on the Sabbath day. Imagine that, picking up sticks on the Sabbath day. And the Bible says, if you read it in Numbers 15, that they didn't know what to do with him because it had not been said what should be done. There had been no punishment given by God that they should be killed. And they didn't know what to do. And they brought him to Moses. Moses didn't know what to do with him. It then says that Moses asked the Lord and the Lord said that he should be stoned. But when you really understand it, it's speaking about the angel of the Lord. Because grace and truth came by Jesus Christ, but the law was given by Moses. Amen. You're going to have to go back over all those other Bible studies because to, to, to see all of that. God said he searched for an intercessor. Remember in Hebrews it said, while all these ceremonies were going on, their way was not made plain. There was not an opening. In Ezekiel 23, verse 30 and I sought for a man he found Abraham he said Abraham leave the mess you're in in Ur of the Chaldees do you know I don't think Abraham went the first time because of the way the scripture says in Genesis 12 and the Lord had said meaning it implies he had spoken to him before a lot of times when God speaks to us we don't move God has to keep on speaking to us. It says, and the Lord had said, get thee out of, of, of thy families um, and, and come out of that. It, it's in the past tense. And when Abraham did go, guess what he did? God had told him to leave his family. He took everybody with him. And then that made that he delayed his journey. He ended up staying in Haran for, until his father died. And then he still didn't completely go by himself. He took Lot with him. And you'll find that God really did not fulfill the promise in his life until after Lot had separated. Then God spoke to him in, I think, Genesis 17 and said, look, look, now you, now I can fulfill my promise. So God sought for Abraham. And yes, he was a man of great faith, but he still had spots where the devil could tap him. Abimelech said, I like your sister there. I'm going to take her for my wife. Yeah, she's my sister. <laughs> you know, he didn't quite tell the truth there. He wasn't completely honest in that situation. You got Isaac, who was a, a great man of peace. The Bible doesn't really have anything too negative to say about Isaac, but yet he was deceived. Then you got Jacob, who was just out and out a con man to start with. And although he came to, to faith, you see he, he had flaws in him too. And then all the way down the Bible, you see God sought for different ones and every one of them had something that could not really full, meet, meet the whole deal. You had Samson who had great physical strength, yet was deceived. You had Solomon who had great wisdom, yet failed God. I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. Nobody was able, as I taught last week, to open the book. Nobody could take the scroll and open it 
And John wept. But behold, one of the elders said, Behold, John, look, don't weep. The lion of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed and is able to open the book. Isaiah 59, 16 says, And he saw there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. He chose Moses, who the Bible says is one of the most meekest men. And for 40 years, he did everything right. But then he let the devil find the little weak spot and tap him. The people finally got to him. You know, he, 40 years they had gone through the desert and they had not, they, God had made water come out the rock the whole way. 40 years. And now they said to him, give us water. They had seen Pharaoh's army defeated in the Red Sea. They had seen food fall every day. They had seen meat fall from the sky. They had seen water come out of the rock and now they start complaining again. And he lost his cool. He lost his cool. And he struck the rock twice. Breaking the symbol that Jesus should only have been crucified once. And because of that, he failed. And in Job, the angelic mediators failed. It says, I, put, I, I charge my angels with folly. And he could not find anyone until verse 17. For he put on himself a righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation. This is where Paul was quoting from in Ephesians. His head and put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. He had to come himself. No man cometh to the Father but by me. I'm afraid Abraham couldn't do it. Isaac couldn't do it. Jacob couldn't do it. Joseph couldn't do it. These are all great men. But none of them could do it. They were not perfect. You see, in the Old Testament, as I said last week, there's a phrase that you can tell how someone died. And it was very important what the Bible said about your death. It tells where you're going. Let's look at that. It uses this phrase, cut off. Genesis 17, 14. And the uncircumcised man-child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. Under the law, uh, the male child had to be circumcised. If he wasn't, that identifying mark that he belonged to Israel was not there. Scripture says he would be cut off from his people. Exodus 30, 33. Whosoever compoundeth any like it or whosoever purifieth any of it upon a stranger even shall even be cut off from his people. What is it talking about? It was talking about the priestly incense. There was a special compound that was holy and only the priests could put it on. They were the only ones allowed to use it. And what it's saying is if everyone, anyone else tried to do that, they were going to be cut off. Their death was going to be cut off. Exodus 30, 38. Whosoever shall make any like unto the smell thereof, even that, even he be cut off from his people. Leviticus 7.20. I'm putting all these scriptures to show you how the Old Testament designates an unrighteous death. But the soul that eateth the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offerings that pertain unto the Lord, having his uncleanness upon him, even that soul shall be cut off from his people. Leviticus 7.21. Moreover, the soul that shall touch any unclean thing as the uncleanness of man or any unclean beast or any abominable thing and eat of the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offerings which pertain unto the Lord, even that soul shall be cut off from his people. Leviticus 7.25, for whosoever eateth the fat, it's going through the law 
And it's designating what's going to be the outcome if you break it. Each one of those ends with cut off from his people. It was talking about where you were going when you died. Now there's a similar phrase for a righteous death. And I'll I'll explain why I'm talking about this. In the righteous death, it says the opposite. It says gathered to his people. Then Abraham gave up the ghost. And died in a good old age. An old man and full of years. And was gathered to his people. It's interesting that his sons, because God had told him that all people would be blessed. That Ishmael, if you go read his death, you can look it up. You can see which death he died. I'll leave that to you to go look up. Because it says... And these are the years of the life of Ishmael. I put it in here. I didn't even know I put it in here. And 137 years and he gave up the ghost and was gathered. Gathered. Although Ishmael was not the son of promise. Anyone remember what his name means? When Hagar was out in the wilderness. It means the Lord hears. The Lord hears. So Ishmael died a righteous death. Why? Because he was the son of Abraham. Genesis 49.3. Now I'm coming up to the important part. Now when Jacob knew he was going to die, he gathered all his sons around him. And when Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet into the bed and yielded up the ghost. And what does it say? A righteous death. Now, before he died, though, he started prophesying on all his sons. Prophesying each one what their generation was going to be like. I'll get back to the Joseph. When he died, he knew that he didn't want his bones to stay in Egypt. And Joseph charged them and said unto them, I am to be gathered unto my people. Bury me with my fathers. So maybe God had told him about his death. But you see that phrase repeatedly in the Old Testament when it's a righteous death. And when it's not a righteous death, it's cut off from his people. Now, notice it doesn't say gathered or taken to heaven. It says gathered to his people. Because this was not heaven, but it was not the place of torment. I'll have to explain all of that Tuesday night. Now, let's get back to to Jacob when he was dying. Before he died, the Bible said he commanded all his 12 sons, well, 13 sons, because he adopted the two sons of Joseph. And when he came to Judah, he gave him the spiritual birthright. Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise, because, of course, Judah means what? praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Now here is the prophecy. Remember what this whole lesson is about. No man cometh to the father but by me. So now Jacob is blessing Judah and he's putting the promise of a future redeemer. Judah is a lion's whelp from the prey, my son. Thou art gone up. He stooped down. He couched as a lion, as an old lion who shall rouse him up. Here's the prophecy. 
The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh, which is a prophetic name for Jesus, come. Now, look what it says. Instead of gathering to your people, unto him shall the gathering of the people be. I don't know if you understand what it's saying. What it's saying is, no man is going to come to the Father but by me. What this was prophesying, there was coming a day that no longer would the righteous dead go to Abraham's bosom, but that Jesus was going to take them to the Father until Shiloh come and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. When he said it is finished and the curtain ripped apart, then the way was made open. Colossians 2.14 says, blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances, those are the laws that were against us, which was contrary to us and took it out of the way. Remember, I am the way. Nailing it to his cross and having spoiled principalities and powers when he went down to the grave, he made a show of them, openly triumphing over them in it. You understand, he went down there and he gathered all the righteous souls and he took them to heaven. In John 3.13, when he first came, it says, No man hath ascended up to heaven except the Son of Man which is in heaven. You know what that means? At that time, there was no souls in heaven. It says, let me say it again, No man hath ascended up to heaven. Nobody had ascended up to heaven except the Son of Man which is in heaven. He was saying he was on earth, but he was also in heaven. When, when Isaiah saw his vision of heaven in Isaiah 9, uh, 6, what did he see? He saw the angels, saw no souls. But when John had his vision in Revelation 4, he said he saw number, uh, 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 around the throne uh, could not be numbered. The difference is these were the redeemed because now the way had been made. Psalm 53 verse 6. Oh that salvation of Israel were come out of Zion. When God bringeth back the captivity of his people. They were in Abraham's bosom but they were not in heaven. It was a place called Sheol the grave. Jacob when he died even though he was gathered to his people. In in Genesis 49 you'll say he says I shall go down. He wasn't talking about going up but when Jesus came. The Bible said in Psalm 68 18. Thou hast ascended on high. And thou hast led captivity captive. Thou hast received gifts for men. He's given us the Holy Spirit and through that many gifts. If you could stand with me. For the rebellious also that the Lord God might dwell with him. When he started his ministry and he came into Capernaum at the start of his ministry. And he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And they handed him the scroll of the book of Isaiah. And he turned to chapter 61 and he says... This, the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings. He goes on to say, to release them that are bound and to release the prisoners. What prisoners he was talking about? He was talking about those that had been held in the grave. That when he ascended, he led, kept to, he, he led a, 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 whole, a whole group of righteous souls. The hell was emptied of righteous people. When we die now, the Bible says to be absent from the body, present with Christ. Aren't you glad about that? He was the only one who could fulfill the prophecy that Jacob, through the Spirit, 
said that when Shiloh comes, to him will the people be gathered. No more just gathered to, to, to the, your people, but he was going, you're going to be gathered to him. Amen. When he returns, we're going to be gathered to him. Isn't that awesome? Hallelujah. So I hope you have been blessed by this series. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Hallelujah. 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 See, that verse is so literal. We don't, we don't even understand how literal it is, but it is absolutely literal. No man cometh to the Father but by me. If you could bow your hearts with me, we're going to close this part of our Bible study. Father, we thank you this morning for your grace and your love, Lord, for speaking to our hearts, for letting us know, Lord God, that our hearts should not be troubled. Hallelujah. Because we believe in you, Lord God, that where you are, we are coming to, that you're going to gather us. Hallelujah. When our change comes, Lord Jesus, we just lift up your name right now and we thank you for your goodness and your grace. Lord, we ask you to just bless our second service. Speak to our hearts. Lord, let our worship be true, Lord God. We thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. Touch hearts, Lord God. Those who are sick at this moment. Let your word, hallelujah, have a place of healing. We lift up your name. We give you the glory, hallelujah, and we thank you for all that you're doing in Jesus' name. If you could give God a praise offering right now.